This episode of AFI in Conversation was produced by Megan Hall for AFI with music by Steve Crump. Welcome uh, to the fourth uh, AFI conversation um, and we're very pleased today and I'm very excited to be in a conversation today with a, a good friend of AFI and a good friend of mine, uh, Dr Tom Brunzel. Um, I'll come to Tom in a minute. I just would like to begin by acknowledging that we are on the unceded lands of First Nations people in this country um, and I would like to pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging um, and to say that I'm coming to you from the beautiful country of Gubby Gubby Land up in uh, the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. And Tom, where are you today? Good day, everybody. And hi, Dale. I'm zooming in here from Wurundjeri country, the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to elders past, present and future. Coming down, coming to you from the longest lockdown people of the world here down here in Melbourne. Well, we, we'll, that's, we'll get to that in a minute, I reckon, Tom. Um, and thank you so much for making time to be with us. Um, uh, and just to finish that uh, acknowledgement off, um, just to say always was, always will be. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Tom Brunzel, the Director of Education for Berry Street and a Research Fellow at the Melbourne University. Um, many of you will know Tom from his excellent work supporting uh, the complex needs of children and young people in learning, um, uh, his work in trauma-informed practice and his presentations across the nation, and, and also um, his keynote presentations for us in doing school differently on a number of occasions and fingers crossed and COVID gone, uh, in June next year, late June next year, 2022, Tom will be keynoting again for us and at the South Australian Convention Centre for the 2022 Doing Schools Differently conference. Tom, maybe as a lead into uh, this conversation, um, the impact COVID's having on learning for young people and particularly vulnerable young people, um, not that we want to stay in that space forever in this yarn, but what are your thoughts? important to acknowledge it, Dale. Yeah. We know from the early research in COVID, and we all know that was about 18 months ago, the immediate research that came out was vulnerable learners were immediately made more vulnerable. And that had to do with, of course, access to technology, the community of their social networks and the friends that they had and the relationships they have with their uh, with the staff on campuses. So many, many of the protective factors that were bolstering the strengths that they were bringing to school each day those things were taken away in the sudden flash. And so as we've tracked through our research and practice across the country, particularly supporting our flexible and specialist campuses, we know that it's taking a lot of extra effort to make up for the social connections, the learning outcomes, and all the pathways that I know our audience is working so hard to achieve with our young people. 
Yeah, absolutely, Tom. It, it strikes me that one of the things that became highlighted very quickly was the the idea of you know digital poverty and lack of connection from those spaces, and that you know it was interesting um, watching some, uh, I guess, of the more wealthy schools being able to pivot instantly to you know pretty well overnight in some cases to ensuring that learning was continuing for young people in lockdown and that everyone had the technology and it all kind of worked um, but when we started to look more at um, you know young people in more remote areas or young people without any access or any you know digital um, security um, again the vulnerable become more vulnerable um, yeah absolutely and also there was just such argy-bargy around resources and trust of how our young people would respond if given the opportunity. And I'm so proud of our young people at the Berry Street campuses. And we have four campuses of our uh, specialist uh, school across Victoria. When we rushed and mobilized technology, devices, screens, all that stuff, Every single one of our young people took good care of those things with pride and valued those things and returned them in when we got to meet them again. So it really showed us that we have to put forth that effort to connect our young people the way they need to be connected. Oh, without a doubt, I know that a number of um, uh, you know national care agencies uh, for the young people in foster and resi care mobilised very quickly to um, make sure that every young person had devices and that you know there was a bit of talk that they'll get thrown out and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But none of that, none of that happened. You it know, didn't. Young, no, it exactly. didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. So again, you know, we just under well, we shouldn't say it that way, but. More, more trust in young people would be a good starting point, I think. Um, I, I, the other point on this I think is kind of interesting that this is rolling on, you know, and, and as you mentioned in the intro, um, Victoria has, you know, suffered incredibly under lockdowns and I was in an earlier conversation today with a couple of colleagues there who were talking about not only the sense of um, their concern for their children in terms of mental health and well-being, but now this kind of creeping sense of, academic gap um, that, you know, it's been a long time. Kids haven't been actually in a classroom, you know, learning in that kind of way. And whilst learning at home and all that is, you know, I can, people are absolutely doing their best, it, it strikes me that those young people that have, um, because of, you know, very complex pasts, have gaps in their learning are going to be much, much further behind. And I, I guess it leads to that question around the re-entry to school um, from a mental health and wellbeing perspective and also the catching up perspective. That's the bit that sort of seems to be creeping up in the conversation that I'm hearing. Any thoughts? Yeah, a couple of, uh, couple of quick thoughts for us. The first is something that we like sharing through our work at Berry Street based on our behavior analyst friends out there, the idea that unpredictability equals risk, yep. that when we perceive the world to be unpredictable, that unpredictability itself feels risky and will do things to help mitigate that risk or meet our own needs, both in healthy and unhealthy ways. And so the predictability of in-person learning for so many young people across the country, again, that unpredictability itself really makes it difficult for them to be able to chart even not just pathways, but really like what is tomorrow going to be? Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I that that's just so front of mind is all of our hardworking staff and educators out there know we're after 
what we like calling those small wins, that, that, that moment of savoring accomplishment and letting our young people know you just did something, you know, you just accomplished a name, you just contributed to something, you just designed something. And our young people don't often yet have the skill to pat themselves on the back and savor that moment. So when I think of all the work that we do daily in in in-person learning, which is just really helping our young people savor their strengths and accomplishments without that constant contact and reminder that you've got strengths inside of you. We're going to help you uh, push the gas pedal on those. Uh, we have a lot of catching up to do. What sort of tips would you, would you think and consider to offer for as people come back into the system, um, at rebuilding trust, um, you know, rebuilding the predictability um, uh, and, and rebuilding that sense of being in a class together, all of those sorts of things. I suspect a lot of young people will, will feel really um, reassured by that and a sense of safety by that because, as we know, schools can be an incredibly protective factor for, for um, all young people. Um, but there will be um, challenges within all that, I imagine, and I'm just interested in your thoughts on um, how we roll back into classrooms. Right. Mm. Well, just like we were saying, our young people have experienced so much unpredictability. That's become the new predictability. (laughs) Therefore, I want to send a little bit of a warning to all of Mm. us. They're going to (laughs) resist when we are saying we have routines, we have rhythms in the school. You're coming back into circle in our arms, so to speak. Yeah. A lot of our young people are going to say, not nah, my body and my brain are not ready to do that. And yet that behavior is a message to yes. us to say when they are resisting our community uh, strategies that we can't give up on that. And so, you know, after so many, many months, particularly in states that have been locked down like mine, um, we are going to have to stay the course and realize, let's say, I mean, my fingers are crossed right now. If you can see them, Dale, <laughs> um, that uh, if let's say we're able to reenter in term midterm four, let's say we're able to enter reenter in term one, that we need, we cannot give up on the things we know are bringing communities together. Yeah. I, I'd like to suggest uh, as a starting point, the rhythm of the natural and healthy rhythms of the body and the rhythms of the breath. And when I inhale and then I exhale, I just did that really fast, but because again, I'm a Victorian right now and I'm kind of hyped up, but I would like us to consider that as we are inhaling, exhaling, and bringing our bodies into rhythm, we need to see our classroom communities also as a body. And so the rhythm to bring in our young people together through what I know so many of our specialist and flexible learning campuses and classrooms are doing through circle and through reflective and restorative practices and from all of the routines that build the predictability through the day, those are the things our young people miss, although they may not articulate it the way we are. Um, They need to feel that collective inhale, collective exhale. There's a time to come in and time to reflect, a time to focus, a time to relax and have a bit of the brain breaks and celebration of our learning. So I'd love to recommend that our our educators out there are really thinking, what are some of the rhythms that I can land right away when when we greet our young people back on campus? Excellent advice, Tom. Let's take a breath together now. Yes, thank you, Dale. (laughs) (laughs) 
Tom and I um, have just had a big breath and we're back into this conversation. Um, excellent advice, Tom. I, I really uh, love the idea of um, the way you've uh, portrayed the idea of the rhythm of um, kind of a normality of life coming back to communities and coming back to school and that the importance of that rhythm that predictability, um, that sense that, and that creates the sense of safety that we all need to, you know, re-engage with learning um, and re-engage with our school communities. Um, and as you said, you know, it, I think there will be challenges for young people to get back into a predictability that's not the, <laughs> the unpredictability of what COVID has been. Um, do you have any thoughts on the, the responsibility or the place, it's probably a better way of saying it, the place uh, a learning environment should, should, should take in relationship to the, the development and maintenance of those kinds of rhythms and predictability with the wider community and families because, you know, this is a everyone's experience, this dislocation um, across time. And I'm really interested in your thoughts on ways that we might be able to um, calm that rhythm for all of the community, um, particularly in, for those more vulnerable young people and families. I know a lot of campuses have worked so hard in the prior months to connect to parents and carers and care teams and all the people that are supporting our young people. I, I, my brain immediately goes to uh, something we call active constructive responding. It comes from marriage counseling research <laughs> and the idea that well-being is formed at the good times and when we are validating relationships and when someone comes to us with good news the way we respond to that builds relationships you know if you come to me with good news dale i can i can absolutely validate it extend it ask you questions make you feel that i understand and really appreciate that you tell me this also, there are other ways we can respond that are not helpful and do not build well-being. And so I just think any moment that we have, again, with our parents, care teams, and all the people that are supporting our young people, to realize those are micro moments of relationship. And yes, we want those big, strong relationships to be forged to support the learning and growth of our communities. And But, but it, sometimes it's easier to think about those micro moments. And so when you have a moment with a parent or carer, when you are capitalizing on the great things that have happened today, sending home messages and notes of strength, realize that's not just a throwaway positive moment, but a moment that can absolutely uh, impact the physical body, the emotional life of the person you're talking to, the thinking and the clarity and the focus of the person you're talking to. And I know just like we do at Berry Street, the parents and carers of our young people, we are constantly showing them that we value their uh, commitment to staying with us as they have through the last 18 months of tough times. It's really interesting is that that intentionality of the, and maintenance of those relationships in the good times that helps us get through some of the more complex and tough times. Um, excellent advice, Tom. Um, we're pushing towards the end of our little uh, conversation today. Um, if you have one big tip for, uh, <laughs> I know, a tricky question, one <laughs> tip, one tip for um, any young people that are um, 
feeling feeling like it's a bit tough at the moment. I have a tip, which is you've got strengths. It can be really hard to see them. There may be many people in your life who are struggling themselves. And this has been a time where we have focused on our deficits and our needs and the problems that we see with good reason. We're experiencing a once in a lifetime, I hope, situation that has overturned our world that has covered up the things that are strongest in us and the things that, uh, that the small things that are going well. And I'm not a Pollyannish person, so mm-hmm. I'm not saying, oh, look at the glass half full. But I do always want to remember every single day, even if one of our young people is struggling or struggling to focus or struggling to engage, they have incredible strengths that we need to build upon. And one of those strengths is resilience because we see it every day. Yep. Well, Tom, um, not, a, not a better place to end than there on the resilience. And can I just on behalf of AFI um, say thank you for um, uh, the work you've done in, in this space um, nationally and internationally. Um, you know, it, it is exceptional, um, a leader in the field of um, supporting uh, children in complex learning environments and needs. So really, thank you. Um, and thanks for your time today. It's very much appreciated. Oh, thank you, Dale. And I have to say, I am counting down the days to next year where we can see our doing schools differently community again in person. <laughs> so I look forward to seeing you in person, yes. Dale. I, look, I very much look forward to that myself, mate. Thank so you. thanks for your time. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for AFI in Conversation. For our next conversation, Professor Kitty Terrell is joined by Dr. Karen Acton, a Canadian scholar and educator. Karen and Kitty will spend some time talking about using an active learning approach to teach students about climate change. Until then, take good care.